All right, everyone. Welcome to the program, Don Unsafe Space. I think everything's working here. My name is Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as always, by the bad mamma jamma, Carrie Smith. Carrie, say hi. Unmute yourself. Hi, Carter. There you go. I've got a new light, so hopefully... You have a new light? Yeah, can see me a little better. So your grainy picture is better lit? It's two pixels now. All four of your pixels are lit? (laughs) Yes. People hate your camera, Carrie. I know. I hate it too. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. I'm excited welcome everyone. About today's guest. Me too. Uh, we haven't had a guest on Deprogrammed in a while, but um, I'm glad we have one now. Kelly seems like a great guest. So, uh, with so that, Kelly I'll just... is a friend of, well, before you do her fancy intro, Kelly is a friend oh, okay. of our friend Gracie West, who we've had on the show yes. before. Gracie has I been on the show before. Um, yeah. And Gracie was with you on Gavin McGinnis's show. Correct. Uh, right? Yeah. Which makes me a Nazi. Yes. <laughs> we already know you're a Nazi. Right. That's just not, one. Not extra. really, but you get called names when you do shows with people like him. Anyway. Um, okay. So with that, we'd like to welcome Kelly Day. Kelly is a YouTuber, musician, and political candidate. Over the past few years, she has left the left and aims to share her experience with others, in particular, how the left uses people's empathy and good hearts. Hmm. Uh, she seeks honest conversation, balancing head, heart, and gut. Kelly resides in Saskatchewan, Canada with her fiance and many pets. Uh, you can follow her on social media at Kelly R day 19, and you can search for her on YouTube at Kelly day, but I'll also put, I think I put already the link to her YouTube channel, um, below in the show notes. So you can just click on that. Kelly, welcome. Oh, she might not have. There we go. I'm good. Hey, thanks for uh, thank you for having me. Hope you can hear me. Um, we can. Yeah, it's great to be here. I appreciate the invite. I love talking about this subject. I'm actually not really doing much for interviews uh, and and live streams on my channel because of this political campaign. But this topic is the meat and potatoes of everything I'm doing. So I was happy to jump in um, and and agree to it. So thanks for having me. And hello to everyone watching. Uh, I understand what you're saying, Carrie. You just get associated by default. Um, I'm associated with a news network up here called The Rebel, which is actually, I believe, a network that kind of started with Gavin McGuinness as well. So Mm. we call it The Rebel Stink. I have The Rebel Stink on me. and you Oh, gosh. (laughs) It is what it is. You know, you learn to accept your deplorable name and and it is what it is. So, um, yeah, it's it's great to be here because when I left the left, um, I think I've heard you speak earlier, um, Carter, about how it's like a bit of a process. And for you, Carrie, it's been... For me, I call it a slow release um, red pill. Like it's the time release. It's not just an instant. It takes time. Right. So it's the, um, what is that Excel extended release? Yes, exa- exactly. Yeah. You got it. So it's sort of like you have these aha moments over the course of, of your, you know, learning. And I'm going through a whole series of that right now. So happy to talk it out. Yeah, awesome. for me, it's been my, about three years, if not maybe a little longer now. And it and it's a slow it's just it's just been a slow transformation what what about you would you how long have you would you say that your beliefs have been changing or mm-hmm. well for me I, I grew up in a fairly conservative household and I wasn't really political but I was interested in politics because I loved to debate and I loved to speak I loved I loved the idea of law and justice was kind of my um my sort of leanings in high school for what I wanted to train in so I had this sort of idea of human justice. And then I also had this sort of a little bit of conservative background, Christian background. And I rejected it wholeheartedly when I was about 1920, partly just from uh, the person that I was dating, who I would recognize now 
now as a socialist. I didn't realize at the time, full-blown. Um, and also just extremely left-leaning and had a lot of resentment-driven um, sort of emotions and ideas towards people who were rich, people of certain races, that kind of thing. So I didn't pick it up at the time. Um, but, you know, just realizing now sort of how these people that you're around, your friends, how they shape you. So for me, I just got farther and farther from um, sort of my past. And I wanted some adventure and I moved out to the West Coast, which we call the left coast here. It's much like California, except in, in Canada. So it's a different vibe. But same idea, very slow, relaxed kind of hippie mentality. And I really just wanted to get rid of the rigidity um, because I'm someone who's if, I don't know if you guys are into astrology, but I'm a Capricorn. I'm very, um, you know, I'm very rigid in some ways and I know that I need to relax and chill so I really wanted to push myself to be more Hakuna Matata you know and um, I often use the Lion King as a reference to sort of my life and coming back home and recognizing my potential and all that but um, you know it was really just a matter of diving into a lifestyle of not full hedonism but just anything goes getting away from the tradition and it was a rejection it was like a pendulum that swung too far I learned how to relax but then I went way too far Yes. So that was a long process in my 20s. And then I've sort of, um, well, I guess, deconditioned from all that. I've been deprogrammed sort of from that over the last few years. So it started with one little thing, which was the election of Donald Trump, um, which <laughs> started to show me the madness that was going on with the, the Trump fear. And I didn't like him, but he was people were getting really, really weird. And I made a couple gentle comments about maybe we shouldn't panic and we're going to move through this. And I got called on my privilege and I didn't know what that meant. And from there, I started having to becoming, you know, became aware of these buzzwords. I had to become aware of the culture. I wasn't on Twitter. I wasn't doing any of that. So none of this made any sense to me. Um, and so for me, it was, uh, that was the start of it. And then I went through a major life transition. I have health issues. So I was going through severe suffering, a surgery that wasn't healing. And I was actually suicidal. I was very down and I got into Jordan Peterson. Um, oh my gosh. So much of this is familiar. <laughs> yeah, I've heard this. I swear, I'm hearing this before. It was like when I met Gracie, or I haven't met her in person yet, but um, you know, we have that same story, right? That something hit us. And for me, it was just pick up your damn suffering and bear it and be the best person you can be. And for some reason, yes. that just shook me. And from there, I understood the idea of meaning versus happiness. And I just dove into hours and hours of him. I've eased off a lot since then. But um, then that led me to other people got me into the, how politics connects with the culture wars, which connects with psychology and spirituality. And I got back into church. I got, I just slowly changed into everything kind of that I had walked away from, but with a new perspective. Um, so it, it was really a slow transformation. I would say the last year has been the overall, you know, it's changed everything. Like I didn't think I'd be running for office. I didn't think I'd have a YouTube channel talking about conservative issues and political Islam and all these big, scary things um, that I would have called people racist for before. Right. So here we are now. Um, but I feel more myself and uh, I'm really happy with where it's going. So it's but it's still I'm still learning and growing. And I catch myself all the time with these old tendencies. And it's a hard one to kick. Put it that way. Yeah. You seem yeah. very self-possessed and like a person who I just want to say, I love meeting fellow former SJWs because it's like their your light has been turned on. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yes. Yeah, it's true because this is where I talk about, you know, you mentioned like in my intro that I don't like that the left uses people's empathy. And this is where I feel like if you've ever been called a highly sensitive person or someone that just feels everything out and you just want to help the whole world. I was the kid that just wanted to save the whole world, you know? Um, 
you really do need to understand to clean your own room, clean your own house first, right? That kind of thing. No one ever talks about that. You just talk about these ideals and empathy and these great words and it all sounds so nice. Um, but then you look at some of the policies and you look at the people saying the words and you look at their actions and there's so much hypocrisy and corruption and lies and you realize that suddenly your empathy has become a pawn and it can be weaponized. And I find that just disgusting because really what happens is they make you feel like in order to be a good person and to help in this world, you have to be essentially an SJW, what, w, what we would call an SJW, when really you actually have to find some self strength and empowerment. I couldn't help anyone before. I was a mess. And here I thought I was just, you know, going to help the whole world. Well, I couldn't even get, you know, my own days and my own life straight. How was I going to help anyone? So now I'm stronger and empowered and it might come off as more rough or, you know, I'm looking at more conservative policies. But to me, this is the true compassion. And I'm trying to awaken that in people. That tough love is sometimes the way to go. You can't just feel good all the time. We are so scared of hurting anyone's feelings, but hurting feelings is what made me wake up. Like I, I needed someone to slap me in between the eyes and say, what are you doing? Get out of this. You're better than this. Move on. Right. And now I can actually help people because I actually have purpose and meaning. Right. So it's a lie that you're being told on the left that you have to have all these ideals. And you spoke, Carrie, about it being like a Bible. Here's all the rules you have. If you don't do one of them, it's like ideological purity tests. You're out. You're excommunicated. And so you can't even disagree with like one of them. There's just these certain things that you have to be all the way on or else you're a bad person and you're considered a monster. So how can you win? You can't, right? So you end up walking away and then fighting with yourself, wondering, am I actually a bad person? Maybe they're right. And then you realize, oh no, I'm the best version of myself I've ever been. So let's keep going, right? And that's why they're calling you names. True, yeah. <laughs> true enough. <laughs> You know, you, um, you used the phrase weaponized empathy, which I really like that mm -hmm. phrase. Um, and I, I don't know when I think about empathy, I guess I have a different definition or perspective. Maybe you could talk about what you mean by that. Um, before I mention what I, why it sounds weird to me. Right. For sure. Well, I did a video on this, um, back when I first sort of started my channel, it must've been two months in, cause I did a long walk away sort of video. And then I spoke a little more about really why I walked away, which was this idea of taking my empathy and weaponizing it. So when I say weaponizing it, I kind of mean it in a dual purpose way. One is you're using it for bad intentions. So you're taking something that's essentially pure, which is someone's heart and someone's compassion for the world or for a situation or a person. And you're using it for votes or you're using it for power or you're using it to to push forward a, a law that you know gives someone authoritarian control um, or you're using it to promote your own self-virtue so these are all negative intentions when you take a pure intention and turn it into something vile that'll always bother me that just doesn't sit well so then the second part is actually weaponizing in the sense that if you are being super empathetic to one group of people, but you're ignoring and have a blind spot for a whole other group of people, you can help one group and in doing so screw over another group of people. So a good example of this is in Canada, we've had a big issue with uh, people crossing the border. Now it's nothing like the States. You guys have massive numbers, but we're a much smaller country and we have an illegal border crossing thing going on. Um, 
at Roxham Road in Quebec. And it's based on the Safe Third Country Agreement. And there's a loophole. So these people are coming through border security checkpoints on purpose, claiming refugee status because they're saying that the States is not a safe place because of Donald Trump's uh, rhetoric, more or less. And of course, Trudeau, <laughs> Trudeau was very welcoming to everyone, right? Like it's very, so we have these people coming in and it's a problem. Are they from Hollywood by chance? Yeah. Well, they're <laughs> certainly influenced probably by Hollywood. And, uh, you know, so there's, there's issues and a few of them are being considered refugees, but I think the, the numbers like 40 percent may be qualified and the rest are going to be sent back but in the meantime because we have such a strong social network they have free health care they have housing they have it's costing us a lot of money and the stats are coming out on the money that it's costing so okay great we're being empathetic open arms open borders we're going to help the world but what about all the people like we have veterans that are suffering we have homeless people here so in giving all your empathy to one group and calling anyone who questions it racist or bigoted or whatever you are now literally taking away funds that can be used for other people. The argument being, oh, they're different departments, there's no comparison. No, there is a comparison because if you're always going into debt, your budget will start to cut things from other places. And the first places they're gonna cut are the people that are suffering the most. This is the other argument. I've been in the lowest income thing. I've been in the disability. I've had to have money from the government. I am promising you the people that need it the most are fighting the hardest and being screwed over by all of the ways that people's empathy is changing policy to actually screw over good people and promote people that don't want to help themselves in the first place. So when I say weaponized empathy, it really just means that something that you think is really great and is a tool can actually be extremely destructive and turned into essentially a weapon against a whole group of people that are being ignored because, I don't know, maybe they just aren't as glamorous in the virtue signaling you know, category. I don't know. You know, something that Carrie has mentioned before about... Um, Empathy and intention generally is that the left views people who disagree with them as lacking, lacking the empathy or lacking the, the goodwill. And something that strikes me as necessary for the left to push their agenda is a divorcing of that goodwill, like empathy, from uh, reality. So the example I'll give is like, you can have empathy for a heroin addict and you can take two different actions. One of those actions based on empathy could be that you become an enabler and you buy them more heroin and they end up dead in a gutter somewhere in two weeks. The other action you could take as an empathetic human is to look at them and realize they're addicted to heroin. I need to help them overcome that addiction. Buying them more heroin is not what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually prevent them from buy, buying heroin and lock them in a room so that they have to detox. And that is seen as lacking empathy. That, that mindset of well, we live in a reality where there are consequences to our actions and we should act with empathy based on how reality responds to things, not based on how I feel in the moment. Yes. Yeah. And I don't want to take over here. I want carried away in on that. But, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I love this. I love this kindred soul stuff that happens when you talk to these other people that have understood this this element of changing ideologies because I actually have a video on this as well because Canada or Saskatchewan is I believe the eighth province to uh, institute a policy on funding um, inhalation devices so crack and meth pipes essentially. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was using what I thought was a crazy metaphor. <laughs> Well, um, Canada is, we've got some interesting policies. We could probably have a whole other um, discussion on that because some of the stuff like we're, the, the situation I was talking about before, even in, in political correctness, it's so, so ingrained in people here that if you use the word illegal immigration, you get called on it. It's irregular migrant. You can't, the, the media will not use it. It's, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty bad. We're very, we're very trained. All of that, proper. And, and so. people should know that all of that is 
is intentional. I used to be in activist groups where we would have our goal. We talked about this before, Carter. I was in an immigrant rights group and our goal was to force the mainstream, to change the culture and to change the language and to force the media to stop using the term illegal immigrant and to um, get them instead to use undocumented American. And because once you change the language, you can change the way people think about things. And so we were, we did the same thing. I was in a feminist group. We did the same thing. We would do letter writing campaigns. So you, it's the mob that we've seen coordinated. So a paper runs something where they use the phrase illegal immigrant. And then we just start coordinate a letter writing campaign talking about how racist that is. And then they change it. They make a correction in the paper to undocumented American. Now, the next time that reporter writes a story, how likely are they to use illegal immigrant? Right. Yeah. You've, you've trained them with the, they've almost shot collared you. Don't bark. Oh, you're not going to bark again now. Right. You're not going to step out of line. Um, it's true. It's, it's, you have to be so careful. And even when I make my videos, I'm very careful because I want to appeal to all groups. I want to appeal to those who are still kind of stuck where I was, well, I want to be sensitive. Yeah. I want to be compassionate because I'm a gentle person and I don't love conflict. I'm running for office, but I don't love conflict. And there's a lot of us doing that because of a feel of a need to get these ideas out, not because we just love the power and the ego of it all. We actually hate all of that. We all, often we have social anxiety, but so many people I'm noticing, whether it's YouTubers, podcast, um, you know, runners or create creators, I guess you would call it yourselves. Um, you know, anyone that's doing anything artistic or standing out boldly in this realm is often extremely uncomfortable. We just feel like we need to, to say something because the way that this is going, like, when I was, so to speak, in SJW, I wasn't really as in activist groups, but probably only because I had an illness and I was sort of stuck, you know, and I was also in a position where I was quite isolated. Um, and so I just wasn't really social in general, but I carried all of the mindsets and I had all of these same sort of guilty, you know, I had the white guilt thing and that wasn't helping me be a better person either. None of it was helping me, but it was all just trickling in a lot of the feminist ideology. I didn't call myself a feminist, but I still believed a lot of the stuff that I had heard. So it's really dangerous. And that's why I want to speak about it because it's actually, it's harming people that are doing really good work. Um, I have a, a, a trans friend, her name is Ellie. And Ellie is uh, someone who's gone through the process, I think after 40 some years, finally going through the process of transitioning, is a conservative, supports our party um, and gets called a transphobe, but is a trans person because she's <laughs> out against the transitioning of children. She speaks out against hardcore LGBT activism, and she believes that those people are making more divide in society, that all the work that she did growing up to try to make people just accept her and leave her alone and be left alone to live her life, it's being undone by these people who think that they're morally the most virtuous. And the irony of it is, is this moral, you know, virtuousness is actually creating disdain, it's creating divide, it's hurting people it's hurting the people they say they're going to help so until you unravel that and look at the roots of it and it does come down to intention and i swear what i've really learned this last year resentment drives the movements uh, of most uh, sjw and kind of hardcore activism and i i hate to say that but it's often just an, an underlying anger or hurt or resentment or you've had some sort of experience and now it's just it just sort of gets itself seeded in there and then you water it and you water it and it grows and grows and suddenly it's a monster. Um, and like you said, you know, with the example of drugs, it can hurt people, it can kill people, right? That's not empathy, that's evil. You know what I mean? That's really right. scary, right? You see, and what I see is the, um, the people who are the most resentful are usually the ones who I call like the bad actors or the, um, the PC authoritarians in the movement, right? The ones who... Um, we've talked about this before in studies about the two different type of SJWs, but those people 
they're, they're happy to seethe that anger, hatred, and resentment openly. And they're the people that you see sharing and writing pieces that are like you open letters to, you know, dear men. And it just is this full of contempt, you know, and like, or dear white people and um, just openly hostile, hateful, hateful people. But then you get the people who want, who have good intention and who have empathy. And they're like, but these people have a, a reason they're expressing this and feeling this and you can't tone police them and you can't, you know, and it's, and their feelings are valid. And in fact, their feelings are more important than facts. And so you get these very well-intentioned people who've been conditioned to uh, make excuses for and try to explain this, this nakedly hateful um, resentment that's in the movement. And they, and they will, they'll come up with good reasons why it's there. They'll make it sound academic. <laughs> You know, oh, it's it's very fancy words. Very fancy fancy words words on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, it's true. You guys have that there, too. You have a lot more violence that's creeping into Canada. But I can't believe the justification of violence, physical violence, and then saying that words are violence in the meantime. But yet you can justify, you know, bludgeoning someone in the head. I just can't fathom it. Yeah, they're they're pretty they're pretty openly violent. Um, You know, something that strikes me is that you, Gracie, and Carrie, actually you all have very similar stories, extremely similar stories. And you all have, but the thing that strikes me as, as someone who was never a social justice warrior, thinking about how to help people wake up from it, you all had some emotional trauma or emotional event that was the impetus. Would you say you were just not able to even hear counter arguments until that happened? Well, for me, um, like I often joke about my, my parents, when I went further to the left, my dad and I would be so on edge with each other and, and we would fight about things and debate. And he would try to knock some sense into me about certain very logical things. But I was convinced that I had to be right. I didn't, in, in my experience, I was in a mode of rebellion. My mode was you, you don't hear because you, if you have to dismantle one thought, you got to dismantle the whole thing. The whole and thing. That's terrifying, right? And you know it sure. in your subconscious, so you protect that. And my dad said to me once, I'll never forget it. He said, he looked at me with this smug face after I had said something and he smirked at me and he said, you're not a liberal. And I was like, yes, I am. I was just seething. Yes, <laughs> I am. You don't know me. And, and, you know, years later, I had to say to him, you were right and I was wrong. I was a conservative, but I was convinced that I had these beliefs and I believed that all these things and all these, there was so much cognitive dissonance, but I had to prove that I was open-minded. I had to prove that I was whatever it is, you know, very laissez-faire and, um, you know, anything goes because as soon as you weren't, you, you know, especially on the island and in the group of people that I was around, you were just considered uptight. If you, you know, kind of it, values and tradition were just uptight. And I just felt like it was, a, I needed to explore a whole new world um, and I had a lot of hatred towards just like I was even kind of led to hate my upbringing. And that's what's scary is people turning kids against their parents. Right. That's the frightening part, too, is my parents are really good people. Now, are there some things that maybe I've helped them progress on in, in the actual progressive way? Maybe. Um, do, do I need to usurp their their you know wisdom and their years of knowledge? How insulting. Right. Like there's no respect for your elders in that in that element, because we believe that we're the young and we we can feel it out. Well life is really 
heart. And as you grow up, you should respect that some people maybe might know a little more than you do, right? So this is where I was just rebellious against my elders. I was rebellious against Christianity. I was mad at white people. I was mad at anybody who had a remotely normal life. I felt like you had to basically be, you know, full-blown hipster or else nothing, right? It just, I, I, I bought into the whole image, like all of the stuff that we can see from, and push, which I don't like to, I don't like to put people in a box, but all of those images, I, I bought it all. And all the fancy were, I voted, I voted for Justin Trudeau, right? This is where <laughs> I was at. So, well, at I least you voted for a woman. <laughs> so true. Oh, that's not going to go over well. <laughs> I, I, pay, I say I'm paying penance now. That's why I'm running. I'm working hard. I'm, I'm making up for it. I'm, I'm, I'm making up for it. But yeah, it's, there's a few people that voted him that are pretty ashamed. But it was a different mindset. So I don't know how to explain yeah. it other than I was wanting to rebel and I was not going to be told anything different. And anyone that told me different just wasn't woke enough, right? That's exactly, they just weren't woke and enlightened enough. I was the enlightened one, but I was miserable. So I don't know how that worked. It's the this same. sounds an awful lot like an extended puberty or adolescence. It's, it, you know what? It's similar. similar. I just have to say, again, remarkable how many similarities because I left my old belief system, which was more conservative, six, between the ages of 16 and 19. Okay. And you were saying you did that 19 and 20. And then this replaced religion, this replaced God for me. Um, this ideology did. And then, and then it's funny, my, my, I did go super far left and I, I would argue, I would write handwritten letter, angry letters back and forth with my conservative Christian aunt. And, and I would, my dad, same thing. My dad would argue with me from time to time. And tr my dad was trying to be, well, sometimes he was teasing me, but other, cause he knew he'd get me riled up cause SJWs get riled up really easily. He was, he was doing a form of trolling, <laughs> but, but other times he would try to make points and appeal to you know, you know, facts and logic. And I just, I couldn't hear it. I'm, I'm just amazed at how many, like you said, Carter, every time I meet someone who's left this belief system behind, there's a lot of things in common of their story, but there's also a lot in common with how, I mean, you, you've taken it further than any former SJW I've met in terms of you're running for office now. It's not just that your light is turned on and you're more inquisitive and you're reading and you're doing, you're also like, okay, I guess I have to go do this. You know, for me, podcasting was uncomfortable. I've, I've gotten much more comfortable with it for running for office. I can't even imagine. So what was that like coming to that decision? Were you arguing with yourself or? Oh, I still have days where I wake up and I think, why am I doing this? I mean, there's, there's days because it's, it's the hate ramps up to a, a whole other level in politics. And, and we literally just the official election, the rich was dropped. We call it here. I don't know if you use that term there, but the official election was called yesterday. And so now everything goes into overdrive, but I've already been in hit pieces. I've already been, they've tried to associate me with neo-Nazis, people I've never heard of that live across the country, but they try, they try to make their association with association with association with, and therefore you're guilty sort of things. Um, so that kind of stuff, it's it's intense. And then you're going through the conservative parties mad at us as well, because we've split the vote. And there's all there's all kinds of internal fighting that I won't get into here. But there's hate from all angles. But we do our party. It's interesting, because our party is the one that's considered to be anti political correctness, against the agenda of, you know, kind of the far left, we're the only one standing up to, um, we want to defund the CBC, which is our tax funded uh, media that's extremely biased. Um, you know, we're, we're very strong on these things. And Maxime is so He's so bold. And sometimes, admittedly, he says a little too much and, you know, it's okay, rain it back, rain it back. But he's he's willing to say what a lot of Canadians are thinking but are terrified to say because you say, you know, we're nice, Canadians are nice. Well, we are. 
but then that's the thing is when we start to feel like maybe we're frustrated or concerned and then as soon as you say something you get shut down and shamed you know you have a population of people that are, are muzzled right and maxim is saying no freedom of expression is so important freedom of speech which we don't have in our constitution like you guys do we don't have that but we need it because we are struggling up here, right, with with people being literally punished for things. And so it's, and it's getting worse as, as we go. When it started with compelled speech like Bill C-16, M-103, uh, these are motions and laws. They started as soft law and then they kind of people say you're hyperbolic. Oh, it's not going to go anywhere. No one's going to get in trouble. Well, it's already starting. Right. And we're seeing this issue and it's a slippery, slippery slope. So what made me run? Well, you know, Jordan Peterson and all of the people that I got into that kind of led me into changing my mindset a bit more and being more open, they did inspire me because there's a lot of um, that idea of just come overcoming fear and wanting to make a better life for, you know, my nephews and the, the people around me and the next generation. So there's that idea that I have to get out of my comfort zone. So it was partly people like that, public figures, um, partly other Canadian YouTubers and people like Gracie, um, Gracie who speaks so openly um, and really expresses her vulnerability and allows other people to do that as well. I think that's very inspiring. So I just was inspired by others who, who yeah, have anxiety and, and all these things, but are still speaking up. And I also, um, for me, it was, it was a bit spiritual as well. It feels like a bit of a calling to something I know I've always been kind of meant for in some way, but my dream had died about getting into any of this stuff. When I got sick, I just thought it was all done. Um, and then somehow both music and um, politics, kind of all of it, the stuff came back together in one weird package that I didn't expect. So uh, basically it was the timing. Maxim left the CPC or the, sorry, the Conservative Party of Canada and uh, based on principle, he had ideas, they weren't listening. Um, there was some corruption. He was trying to address it and he said, enough, I'm starting my own party. Let's see if anyone believes in me and what we're doing. And uh, ultimately, we, we've created the fastest growing party in Canadian history. In 10 months, we have 45,000 members and we're doing really well. So we don't know. Polling shows low, but we don't know what's going to happen. And we're representing a whole bunch of people that don't have a voice. So for me, it was, um, you know, a few different things that made me decide to do it. It was a hard decision. I was trying to find another candidate. I got involved, but I was trying to volunteer and I tried to find another candidate. No one stepped up. And I You're trying to find someone to help. Yeah, you exactly. So you decided to do it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, someone more experienced. I wanted someone more with more economic experience and someone, you know, older and wiser and, and no one was stepping up. And I thought, well, if it's going to be the, you know, the, the, the young gal that, you know, is, is going to step up and do this, I guess so be it. But I'll, I'll do it because I know it needs to be done. Um, so I'm here doing it moderately uncomfortable at times, but knowing, knowing in my heart it's the right path. And it is nice to feel that fire and that passion and be able to listen to Canadians and hear what they have to say. Like, what are you worried about? What are the, I had a seniors advocacy event and I got to hear about what they're struggling with and then hear how the elitist left in our, in our country talks to them and, and preaches at them and lectures them. And it's just climate change, this and gender, that and equality, this and diversity, that, and they don't have any, it's just all nonsense. And, and we are covered in that right now in Canada. So my party is saying, no, no more like us or hate us, we don't care. This is what we stand for, period. These are our principles and our, our MP candidates like myself are allowed to have opinions on things like abortion and, and you know anything that might be taboo. We can have opinions as long as we line up with the overall values, right? So it's been- um, a really And what are those overall values? Well, we base everything on fairness, personal responsibility, freedom and respect. So every policy we have is based on those four tenants or four values, but we really believe in free market, 
personal responsibility. Um, we're not anti-immigration, although people try to paint us as that, but we want to reduce immigration. We have different numbers for you know, refugees versus economic migrants. We have a slightly different plan. Um, we have just an incredible diverse slate of candidates from all walks of life, but we're very united and we believe that in Canada, unity is our strength. They always say diversity is our strength, diversity is our strength. No, unity is our strength. We can all be diverse, but it's what unites us as Canadians, the values of freedom and you know, law and justice and, and the things that make Canada a wonderful Western country to live in, the reason people come. We want to maintain that. And we have a, quite a few immigrants on our side that are quite for that because they worked hard to come here and be citizens and they love this country. And that's what unites our party is love of Canada, respect for each other, um, very classical liberal uh, ideologies, some libertarian ideologies. We can appeal to a lot of different Canadians. So that's kind of where we stand. We have really common sense kind of conservative classical liberal type policies and a major focus on free speech, which no one else is, is talking about. So as long as you kind of line up with these values, we're not some white nationalist, you know, you have people like we've had some extremists try to attach themselves as a new party. Doesn't fly. We, we don't, we don't swing that way. We're, we're moderate people that want to have regular people running that move forward. So all of us are volunteering, right? None of this is paid. It's just, we all believe in, in Maxim Bernier and what he's doing. And we believe in in where we're moving forward. So it was an easy decision to pick the party. Running was not an easy decision, but my fiance is very supportive and we're just one day at a time, right? We're doing what we can with what we have, with the meager funds. And it's it's fun. It's fun to to experience it. Um, I don't know if I recommend it for the lighthearted, though. It's it's a blood sport, as they say. It's You get to see a lot of corruption and there's people trying to burn your party down. And it's just you can't trust anyone really like it's very very different so it's been hard for me as someone who's so openly trusting but another lesson in all of this is the reality of life and the fact that not everybody's telling the truth all the time imagine it sounds that. like working in entertainment yeah fair enough i can, I can imagine <laughs> yes. i don't but i can imagine yeah would you say it sounds like you're characterizing i'm putting words in your mouth so correct me but it sounds like you're characterizing this as more of a culture war. That's what I'm hearing. I'm not hearing like we need this particular policy or this particular thing, but more, these are the cultural values that matter. And this is how we're differentiating ourselves from uh, the, the what's currently popular. Yeah, for sure. There's a huge cultural aspect. I mean, we are what you would call a Canadian, uh, pardon me, uh, like a Canadian, it wouldn't be white nationalists. They always try to put that word in there. No, no, no. Just regular, good old fashioned, love my country nationalism. But we are what you would call nationalist populists, I guess. Um, I've heard like Dr. Steve Turley refer to us as as national pop nationalist populists. So populists tend to focus a lot on that culture idea. We do have an incredible platform. I didn't want to make your show too political and talk about our really specific policies. But a lot of our policies are based on incredible uh, sound economic policies, everything from interprovincial trade to uh, something we have called called equalization, which is essentially like a form of kind of provincial welfare. It's the have not provinces get a certain amount of money from the provinces that have more or are developing their resources. We want to rewrite that formula because it's unfair uh, to people say in the West. Uh, we're very pro pipeline. Um, we want to get the oil and gas industry back up and moving. So a lot of our policies are fantastic. Um, I pretty much agree with all of them. I can't really argue. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, Maxime makes it very clear that he wants to appeal to smart populists, that populism doesn't have to just be about the heart, that you can use your head. And he is some, he's a, he's a very smart guy. And I love the way he looks at how we can move forward. So uh, he, he's, he's certainly a seasoned politician and more than prepared um, and has really a really great platform. But then there's also this element that sets us apart 
um, from the other parties, which is definitely the idea that we're not afraid to talk about what Canadians actually are worried about. So things like immigration, things like um, the, the, the agenda down um, like in, in elementary school, younger kids. It's not on our platform. It's a social policy that's provincial jurisdiction, but we have candidates who are speaking against it or putting out private members bills. So that's awesome. Yeah, like he doesn't he doesn't um, make even if he doesn't, I think he's pro-choice, for example, but he can have pro-life candidates and they're starting bills and speaking about late term abortion. There's no laws in Canada for abortion right now. Right. And I, I've spoke about abortion at length. I've had an abortion. I'm very open about it. I'm not really wanting to make it illegal, per se. I wish we didn't take it so lightly and joke about it like it was nothing. I think that's disgusting. Um, there's whole videos I've done on this, but um, to have at least some sort of a law where you say, hey, there's a limit. Let's let's have some value on life here. Come on, you guys. Can we meet in the middle? And we're making, you know, there's a member of our party that started a bill and I support that bill. I'm one of the MPs that's or candidates that support it. And uh, we're allowed to do that. We don't have to be, hey, shush, shush. You're going to make us look bad. Oh, the media is going to call us anti-choice. Oh, the media this. Oh, like we have a candidate named Salim Mansur. He's um, a Muslim man who speaks largely against radicalism and political Islam. Very well respected professor. He ran for the Conservative Party of Canada and they disallowed his candidacy basically out of a fear of political correctness because they might be called Islamophobic. And it's, it's insane because this is someone that comes from that faith and that background, but just, just speaking against radical elements. Well, we scooped him up. He's one of our star candidates, right? So these are the issues that Canadians, we're not allowed to talk about this stuff, um, the stuff that's happening in England that we see coming, you know, possibly here. These things get you labeled and you get shut down. So our party is, is yeah, we have an incredible platform, but we're unique in that we really support free speech. We understand that if you don't talk about this stuff, um, you know, parliament comes from the word parlay to speak. If you don't speak about it, there's very bad, dire options after that. Um, and, and I don't think our other parties are realizing that they are really pushing Canadians apart. The divide is, I've never seen Canada like this. Um, and mostly it's online, but it's creeping into real life. Um, we have candidates. I, there's a candidate on the West Coast, East Coast, pardon me. She's uh, bound to a wheelchair. She's an incredible person. She's an interfaith minister and a naturopath, heart of gold. She's had two events canceled by an Antifa type group because they call her hateful. And it's just, there's just, it's, it's gross. I hate seeing what's happening in Canada. And all sides are guilty of the polarization, but what's happening in our schools and what's happening with our media is very left-leaning and it is brainwashing people and they're apathetic because we're free and we have a great country and nobody thinks they have to care. And I argue that if you don't stay vigilant, you'll lose your freedom really fast, right? So that's kind of our party. We're very freedom freedom oriented and we, we believe in Western civilization. We don't want to we recognize it has negatives, but you won't, you don't want to bash the whole of Western civilization. And that's, I think, a big difference in in what makes kind of populist parties more um, unique. Right. And they are rising all over the world. I think even Would just you... saying that you like Western civilization is a is a thought crime now or a. Uh, they've added yeah. it to a list. Yeah, they've said that. Yeah, uh, Nash, I've already I've already hit like 20 yeah. in this conversation and I thought it was tame, but eh. <laughs> yeah. They want to prevent, they want to control language. So there are certain phrases that they, they continually add new phrases to the list of things you can't say. So cult, cultural Marxism, which was a way to describe Marxism that's not based around class, but based around like identity politics. They've then, I learned, oh, that's a right-wing term. You can't use that. I'm like, okay. I just so, learned that that's a bad right-wing buzzword too. There's all these yeah. <laughs> words that apparently you can't use, even though they're perfectly applicable. But Yeah, perfectly applicable. Well. So then the same thing with Western civilization. They've just put that on that. Remember we were talking about these professors 
professors who've now said, if you see, you know, stay away from using the terms Western civilization, because it's right. code words and buzzwords for alt-right. And it's like, no, it means Western civilization. It means what it means. Basically what's happening <laughs> wow. is they've got a, a poison ideology and every, and they have to use some words to describe it. And every time they use some words, people come up with counter arguments and, and use those words and other words to defend them. And then they just vilify those words and move the target. They're just, oh, it's not, it's not Marxism anymore. It's social justice. It's not this. It's like, they just, they just move the, the definitions. And along the way, the, 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 I guess, uh, casualties that happen along the way are, you know, all those words you use to criticize them just get banned along the way because, uh, you know, you're, you're chasing after them, trying to stop really just authoritarians who, uh, I, they're just like busybodies on crack who they, they just want to run everyone's lives. And, you know, that's, that's, that's their goal. It's pretty, it's pretty naked authoritarianism, but they just can't say that out loud. Yeah, um, it's very true. Sorry, go ahead. Kelly, I was just going to ask, are you, you mentioned that you grew up in a conservative Christian household. Did you, uh, did you abandon your faith and are you, are you Christian again or are you, or has that, how's your faith play a role in this? Yeah, that's a, that's an ongoing journey too, but I, I grew up Christian, yeah, Christian conservative and I didn't leave my faith in God entirely, but I, I went into the new age basically. And that's a whole other topic. Um, that I now understand how far that reaches into this culture war kind of stuff. Um, it's kind of embedded itself in a lot of political ideology. And as, as it's, it's interesting, I had no idea, but I've been watching a lot of past New Agers talk about coming out of that movement. And so when I say New Age, I mean, we're talking kind of the, the overall mishmash of, uh, you know, Eastern philosophies and, and everything from meditation to I did, I have like, I'm a, I have my Reiki master courses. I have training in other energy healing modalities. Um, you can probably see just from my room, I still have remnants of these sorts of types of decor and all of sure. that, you know, kicking around, um, which conservatives give me a hard time about. I always say I kept the toque, I ditched the ideology is what I like to say. <laughs> but um, but um, yeah, New Age was kind of, I went into the spiritual kind of interfacing, which I, I still have a lot of respect for anyone who has a reverence or a belief in like a higher power. Um, I don't like to be pushy, um, but I definitely have now understood some of the very scary roots of the New Age. Um, you know, Aleister Crowley's kind of uh, associations with a lot of these roots, a lot of the Satanism stuff that's actually associated and some of the dangers when you look at it from a Christian perspective of opening yourself up to stuff like that. So um, that was something that's really only the last year that I've really learned about um, and and let myself kind of walk away from a lot of it and focus on Christianity, um, which is hard to do because I rejected it so hard growing up, believing it was the, the closed minded way. Really, I left it because I believed it was not inclusive enough right i just believed that it was hateful then because that's what people were saying and i didn't want to be that person and so then i just rejected it and uh so i didn't walk away from god completely i had faith always that's kind of what kept me through my health issues and the stuff i went through was having some level of faith but i walked i would say that i wasn't walking anywhere near god didn't want to and and was very bitter about some stuff that had happened to me in the church um in the same way that sort of you can be kicked out ide ideologically purity wise uh, in this sort of social justice case um, or the, the cult of social justice, as Gracie calls it, um, you, you know, you can have that happen in, in certain religions, too. Right. Because all religion itself is tainted by by man and man is, is corrupt and, and often things go awry. So I had some bad experiences and I was bitter and I was determined to stay away from it. So I fought it for years, um, got back into it. It took some time. It took me a year of speaking to the pastor. 
uh, here and some kind of neat serendipitous type uh, events that I won't get into uh, for me to actually put my feet back in a church in March. So it took me a year to really get the balls to do it is really what happened. And uh, I was just so scared of judgment. You know, I've done this and that. And, and it was just what I yeah. what I saw instead was this incredible love and 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 acceptance and people that maybe aren't perfect, but they're all going to their, you know, every Sunday they're trying to be better. They're all doing something that's better. Um, and I just had to open up to a new way. So now I'm actually enjoying the work of some Christian apologists, which I know is another, oh, a gasp, the worst thing you could ever imagine. But um, just to understand even some of the hatred against Christianity that I've been taught, like things like the Crusades, and understanding now more about the fact that often they were retaliatory. There's another side to these stories that I've never heard. I've only heard the bad stuff that Christians did. I've never heard the good. I've never been able to separate Christianity from the Vatican. I've never, you know, I've never been able to understand what being a true follower of Christ has always meant, which was being a political dissident in many ways. Um, he upset the elitist order and focused on very true connection and, and real spirituality. So I've returned to it full force, um, but with a lot of struggle because it, it's been very easy to get that doubting head, you know, doubting voice. But um but I just, the people around me have been incredible and praying for me and everything else. So it's been just a matter of trust for me. So that's kind of, it's a long journey. That's a hard way to nutshell it, but I tried. <laughs> that's funny. That's another similarity with us because it's, it was, I, I talk about on the show, Carter outed me on some early episode as being a Christian. <laughs> I joke that he outed me, but um, because <laughs> Sorry, I was no, it's fine. <laughs> um, She's not a Christian. I, She's a pansexual <laughs> lesbian. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, Wait, I, used to, a contradiction. I, I used to have, I was such an SJW and I had such contempt for Christians for a while that I used to have one of those bumper stickers that said, um, sorry, I haven't been to church. I've been busy practicing witchcraft and being a lesbian or something. Like I had one, I have a whole box of those SJW bumper stickers. I held onto them because I thought it might be funny one day to talk about each one of them. <laughs> that like, would make a great video. I really believe oh. It's cringeworthy, but yeah, I, I had a lot of contempt and I did, I think I was, I was angry at God about a lot of things, but I didn't lose faith in God. I called myself an agnostic, but I definitely, same thing, wasn't walking with God at all. And, um, and thought I was becoming more inclusive and open-minded and was really going to this, had gone to this really closed-minded, intolerant place, um, which is what SJW ideology is. It's closed-minded, it's hateful, it's intolerant. Um, and so me coming back to God was also, there were a series of what my friend would call coincidences or, uh, but things, what did you say when I, uh, what's that phrase, Carter? When I'm, things I'm not sure, serendipity. Yeah, serendipitous, but there's this phrase, it's, it's not confirmation bias, but it's basically, oh, magical thinking, right? Like, I have atheist friends who call the things that happen to me magical thinking, but for me, it no, I felt God speaking to me and I also was lucky to find a group of very sincere Christians who I felt awkward around for a while and still feel awkward around because like you said, I've been out in the world and I've believed and done other things. And it's, it's funny being in that, um, being in that group now, but all I found is open arms and acceptance there. So yeah, there's, there's a big misconception. And I'm not saying that the church has done itself no favors in some ways. Uh, there's a bad history, um, certain denominations, maybe more than others. There's been a lot of, there's been a lot of reasons to have frustrations with religion of all kinds. So, I mean, I can, per I can perfectly relate, but yeah, I'm the same as you. I was just 
determined, hellbent determined to reject it, you know, and I wasn't quite as loud and proud in the sense that I had bumper stickers just because I was always so, I was also that kind of person that was so scared of what everybody always thought. So I was very quiet about it. But yeah, I had these, but I'd have these debates and I had these fights where I thought that I was just fighting for social justice, right? Like speaking of Gavin McGinnis, I always think of his little, I'm, um, I'm Miles McGinnis. I fight for social justice and his little videos. <laughs> that he does. And it's so funny because like, I believed and thought that way like I genuinely that's why what you said when someone called me a social justice warrior once like I think you I don't know was it before we got on on yeah before on we got on I asked you yeah, if you were an SJW yeah you asked me if an SJW and I said well no I mean I guess I was but I didn't think I was because I wasn't involved in politics I wasn't online I'd never heard the term and the first time someone called me a social justice warrior I thought it was a compliment because I'm like I'm a warrior for social justice and that has to be good and I, I just didn't understand that I was just being one of those really annoying people that was lecturing about stuff that I probably didn't know that much about. So it, it's really, it, it's embarrassing. Like you said, Carrie, it's embarrassing sometimes to go back and show. <laughs> I've had to apologize to a lot of people. That's what I'm curious, Carrie. Have you had to apologize to people for calling them racist or bigots or just being completely off the wall? Like I've had to really eat my pride in a few cases. Um, my aunt and my dad, who I mentioned before, yes, both of them. My And you know, my aunt is still, we all have issues and I, I I would be happy saying this in front of her too I think she's still she's judgmental in some ways that I find to be very funny um but I had to say to her yeah I'm sorry you were right about a lot of things and um and I was so all the things that what was amazing to me is I saved I saved a lot of stuff I saved our letters I caught I photocopied the letters I was sending her because I thought they were so well written and I was was making I was smacking her down right and I'm like I want to read this later right and I'm glad I have those because I've read I read them now I'm like oh everything I accused her of being close-minded being arrogant being intolerant being racist being sexist all of those things I was those things right because SJW ideology is racist it is sexist I was the one looking at people based on what race they are and putting them in groups and judging them and treating them differently um you know I was I thought I knew everything. I, I liked what you were saying earlier about having no respect for your elders. It's not a belief system that encourages you to respect wisdom or age or, or a tradition, or in fact, it's, it's adamantly opposed to all of those things. So, and, and some things are good to get over and grow from and move on. I mean, society's moved forward from some bad ideas and that's good, but some of it's there for a reason. Some of it's kind of sustained people, you know, for a very long time. And, it's just a matter of being open to it and having the respect. So you mentioned the word arrogance. That's my number one. I, I can't handle it. I can't handle arrogance uh, and elitist attitude. And I do find that a lot more and more on the left. And I'm always trying to stand up for, I'm doing it less and less, but I was always trying to stand up for, you know, leftists. And there's leftists and liberals and there's differences, right? Because everyone's in a different state of mind. But when there's those that are that ingrained, I know from experience, there's nothing you can really say to them. But if you're going to get through, it's going to be by being very honest, not harsh and pushing them away with awfulness. Because a lot of them, to be honest, I think a lot of SJW types have trauma that's not resolved. I see a lot of hypervigilance uh, as a symptom. I see a lot of um, symptoms of people that are sort of overwhelmed and get overwhelmed very easily. And that can be a sign of a lot of unresolved grief or unresolved trauma. So I see people that just haven't worked through stuff. And so like you can't talk to them without a very specific, you have to be very firm for me, it was people that were honest and bold, but didn't necessarily, um, you know, push me away. And and like you said, Carrie, the interesting is that they call people bigoted, but it's it is coming from a bigoted ideology. It is a quick funny example, funny but not funny, kind of scary. Um, Maxim tweeted out this morning that he head office received an email from CBC, which is our state funded or tax funded media, 
asking for a list of all of our LGBTQ, and they added a few other letters, I can't recall them, um, <laughs> all of the members in our party, all the candidates, do you have a list? And he's like, no, I don't have a list of all of the sexual orientations of the people in my party. Are you insane? What a terrible thing to even ask. No, I didn't, like, no, I didn't have to tell people who I sleep with and what I prefer and what my genitals are when I applied to be a candidate. Imagine that because we don't care. Are you Canadian? Are you a good person? Do you believe in the platform? Cool. Like what, what is the, it's just, they're obsessed. They're obsessed. obsessed. And, and we're the bigots. Like you've literally just stuck everyone in a bubble. Whereas we said, Oh, I don't care what you do. It's based on character and, and, and your merit. And it's just, I'm just astounded that this thinking has become so mainstream that we even have to do like, it's just, no, I don't have a list. Why would I have a list? That's so creepy. Why would I have a list? You know what I mean? They made fun of uh, um, Mitt Romney for saying binders of women, but that's literally what they do. They have binders and lists every, <laughs> every identity. Um, one other quick thing I want to say about SJWs and try, trying to be empathetic and charitable towards these people who, who adamantly believe what I used to believe is that you said you b- believe a lot of them have unresolved trauma. We've talked about this in an interview before with my friend April Rose and who agree that I think there's a lot of unresolved trauma with people who are in this belief system, but um, the ones who are the most hardcore, but they also have not experienced unconditional love and acceptance because this, this is everything about this ideology is conditional. If you don't believe in a spouse, the tenants, you are evil, you are out, you are a heretic, you know, they don't understand that. And so I think that's another way of reaching people is just even in the face of them being hateful towards you if you're able to and I'm not always able to I'm not always the best version of myself (laughs) but if you're able to be a representation of unconditional love you can reach people with that because they don't they don't I had not experienced it in that ideology and it was amazing to experience it outside of it so yeah I'm the same way when I got into conservatism I was wait and I've had some criticism and there's been people that are hard on me or you know when you when they find out I voted for Trudeau I've had some fascinating comments thrown at me but it is it is whatever we all make mistakes I'd rather be from Bernie hey there you go see I remember telling my dad that I love Bernie Sanders he's the best thing and I remember him saying he's going to bankrupt America I remember having a whole fight with my dad about that years ago actually it's funny you say that um you know but really the conservatives have been so open and I just I have just met so many compassionate and it's like I said it's not left or right it's right or wrong like there's good people on all sides you just you have to be willing to engage, but I've really found by and large that overall conservatives have been more willing to openly engage. And when they tell me they don't agree with something or like it, I can handle it because they're just honest. There's no deception. There's no weird projection. It's not like an uncomfortable, and I, I hate this word because gaslighting has been taken over and used and thrown away, but it's such a perfect word. When you've been in an abusive relationship and had actual gaslighting, you know what that really feels like. And it really is just, you get twisted up and you don't know which way is up and somehow you've done something wrong and really you've done nothing. And anybody that operates like that, I don't care what side you're on. I, I can't respect that. That's not, that's not a way forward. Right. And, and I find on the left, it's just more common because like you said, they shame you. You have to now define, Oh, you don't agree with this one thing that we've decided. For example, that the trans kids issue, say you're completely, say you're a transgender, but you don't agree with that ideology. It's not enough. It's not enough. You can go through the, the surgery. You can go through the whole transition you can wave the flag, but if you don't believe in, in giving puberty blockers to an eight-year-old, you're out, you're out, you're evil. And that is so sick. It, it's so totalitarian. It's extremely cut and dry. It's very arrogant. 
And like you said, there's not an ounce of unconditional love or forgiveness or understanding or nuance or anything that makes us human in that at all. It's just, it's just, they believe that it's, it's the ideological purity test. It's the, um, uh, the high priests of morality. I think a friend of mine here in Canada calls it's them. Cultish. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's cultish ultimately. Um, I wonder, you know, you guys have both mentioned like trauma as, as, uh, maybe a common through line for a lot of the social justice or the more active social justice warriors. Um, I'm wondering more specifically, like we're talking about an entire generation or generations of people that are, you know, more of this mindset. And the thing that I keeps coming to my mind is, is attachment issues where you, you haven't had, the kind of stable, loving, secure family to start with. And so you kind of need that in order to have the uh, courage to be able to go out into the world and accept other people as being different. You need that security first before you can deal with the variety of the world. And it seems like they've, they've wandered out of their nest without ever really having that secure attachment. And They've come out and everything's frightening to them and they need to find a tribe to glom onto where the rules are very clear and outsiders can be shunned and it provides them that sense of security. I'm just wondering, did you guys feel like you had maybe not love? And I know you had, Carrie's talked about her anger issues and a whole bunch of other stuff, but did you at least feel secure in the group or was that not even part of it? I guess I'll start on that one. Um, I never felt... I always felt when I was around those types of people, which I now identify and I didn't at the time being out of politics, but I now recognize that there is a feeling it's hard to explain, but there was a a feeling in your gut all the time. Like you're, you're always on eggshells. You feel like maybe you shouldn't feel this way or you shouldn't say it. There was, there was sort of just a narrative and you, you kind of knew that if you didn't go along with it, that it wasn't going to be pretty because there was an attitude and there was immediate automatic outrage immediate no matter what so that's what I started to notice was that you just had to be really careful with how you said anything if it was kind of out of the norm um I wouldn't say you were terrified of rejection at that like being ostracized it's very subtle right and there's no like there's no one saying here's what when we're gonna you know here's your contract and if you breach it you're out it was more just sort of um a subtlety right and then for me it was more recognizing it after and having the shock I think Gracie went through this too it was more recognizing when I did come around to being more uh, conservative and changing some of my views, uh, losing people that I thought knew me really well and were close and finding out, oh, I guess, you know, years of knowing me and my heart didn't matter at all. And now because I'm in this group, you've labeled me. And so for me, it was more of a rude awakening. In the moment, I was always uncomfortable. It was never, none of those relationships lasted. Um, All of them were very toxic. They drained me of my empathy because those people tend to need a lot of reassurance and they're, they don't, you know, and, and I've been there cause I've gone through trauma. So I know what it's like to have that hypervigilance, but I, I don't know, for me, it was more of a shocker after the fact, um, really, really starting to look back and understand the patterns and the red flags and all the stuff that I had been so mm. blind to. Um, and, and those relationships were, they were extremely toxic and very frustrating. I never felt like I could speak. I was always trying to word things perfectly. Um, and, and generally it was to avoid having anybody have one hurt feeling and the oversensitivity and, um, that kind of stuff. So for me, it was, I was just getting frustrated and annoyed and I couldn't place that feeling. And then I converted and realized, oh, I see now you're all kind of authoritarian SJW types. Got it. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Makes sense. 
I would say something you said there, I want to reiterate, it's like walking on eggshells all the time. There is this just low level anxiety that's constantly there of saying the incorrect thing, because that's what they do is you're supposed to say the correct things. It's not so much about thinking and trying to speak truth. It's about sorting through the tenets of the belief system and spitting out the correct ones. And God forbid, if you step in and you step into it, if you say something that is not approved, you didn't realize is now a microaggression or is now problematic. And then, you know, you're at the receiving end of a lot of, uh, uh, abuse or contempt. And so, but there's something else you said. So walking in eggshells. Yes. Um, that is something I did as a kid all the time. So I knew how to do that. <laughs> mm. Like I'm used to that low level. So it's not that you got security out of the social justice cult, but it was that it, it fit with your pre-existing insecurity about walking on eggshells. It was a, a mode of operation that you were fine with. Yes, probably. And also, like Kelly was saying, there were some very toxic people in the belief system who I kept around me as friends who I thought were friends or clients or um, colleagues who, in retrospect, were just uh, they, they were proxies for my mom. So it's like, it, it, looking back on it, I'm like, oh, I, oh, I see. You, you know, when you start to go through therapy and figure things out, and you're like, oh, I kept finding that. I, I was going out and attracting that and seeking that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um anyway tmi no no, no. Not, no see this is just it it's like you can't do it without tmi that's that's what i find and that's where i loved that's how i found when i found grace he was like hey she's tmiing all over the place too <laughs> yes someone else <laughs> hey guys what'd she say I'm, I'm here you're all my priests and you're my friends like you kind of end up confessing your soul on here sometimes yeah. but it, but it's a part of the process because to understand where someone's coming from you have to look at, at the feelings behind it because it's often a motivator for what their thoughts and their ideas are, right? And 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 what I find is, you know, you were talking about, uh, Carter, like people that maybe don't have that stability. Like for me, I, I, I had a bit of that low-level anxiety. I had great parents that are amazing, but I also, like my dad was a little bit, you know, harsh around the edges and he would have admitted that even to his, his death. We would joke about it. He knew that. Um, so, you know, you're just wanting to not kind of, make him upset. And I was just always a people pleaser. It was just something I learned, you know, generationally. So yeah, I didn't want to bother anyone or hurt anyone or do anything. And, and then you get walked all over and then the resentment grows a little there and you lose some self-empowerment and there's just, and people use you for your empathy in those relationships too. They suck you dry. Right. And they, they call them like energy vampires. I think in the new age is, is the term, but um, people that are kind of not really giving you anything, they're only taking. And that's a very common theme because I do find that SJWs, what they need is reassurance. They can't handle that someone just doesn't agree with what they're doing. That's just, no, I have to convince every person in America and Canada that my lifestyle is good, period. I have to. And, and, I, and if you don't agree, then you're a bad person. And it's just, you don't look at, they're, they're not looking at people's lives. You know, I said, like, I'm, my whole life, I've been kind to people. None of it matters. I'm part of this party now, and I speak against a few things. Therefore, I'm a monster. And I have to now get into a corner and defend myself against these people because they've decided that I'm a monster. And they're like, hey, tell me, prove it, prove that you're not a monster. And I'm thinking, prove that I am a monster. How come I'm in this position? So we end up on this defense. They're always on the offense. Um, so where they come from, it could be anything from abusive families to regular good old fashioned, you know, brought up conservative and Christian like myself families. But I do think there's also a level of some, I know some people that are just kind of coddled maybe and uh, aren't taught like you said, how to handle real life. Maybe they're spoiled. Maybe there's single moms that are working extra hard to make up for the man in the house and they're 
giving too much and, and allowing, you know, being too much of a friend to their kid. There's so many elements. I mean, and it's not just young people, though. There's older people in this mindset, too. And that's the part that really gets me. So, you know, I don't know what's what everybody's impetus is, but to me, there's something that it's filling, like you said, um, Carrie, like there's something. Yeah, I think it's different, for, obviously, for every person, but there is some type of, I would say, I suspect there's some type of unresolved trauma that a lot of people who get really hardcore into it um, have experienced. It's probably a cabal of some codependency, right? There's some people who want one thing and other people who want another thing, and there's a good match there, and it's working really well, right? Because if some some people seem to be much more vampiric in the social justice cult, and others seem to be much more basically wanting to be taken advantage of. I don't know a better way to say it, but like they they feel like they need to perpetually be please. Like you know, you mentioned uh, uh, wanting to please everyone, conflict avoidant. Uh, you know, those people tend to mesh well with someone who uh, requires that around them because they like to have conflict and they're narcissists. Yes, bingo. And and people like myself, I'm assuming people like Carrie as well, you get taken advantage of by the narcissist. Oh, totally. All the time. It's, it's I had, not anymore, but I did all the time and I didn't realize yes. it, right? I had a, a let's say, friend who, <laughs> who was super SJW, professionally so, and publicly known. And I would, I would come into, like, I worked with this person. So coming into like a Monday trying to be, okay, I've got to be cheerful and positive and be on my, you know, and it'd be like, Hey, like, how was your weekend? And it's my responsibility to keep you happy. And it's like, you try having a kid and tell me what your weekend is like. It was always just like, <laughs> you're there to, to take this toxicity and then push out positivity. And uh, there are a lot of people like that in it. I'm not saying that that is exclusive to people who are beholden to SJW ideology, but that's where I was living. And there were a lot of people like that. Yeah, so, by the way, the thing high. that bothers me most about that is that poor kid, because don't think that they don't sense that that's their parents' freaking attitude. Yeah. But well, sorry, I didn't mean never, to interrupt. It's never about the children, though. This is the other thing about, I, I can't believe how often the children, are, think about the children. No, nobody thinks about the children. There's, there's just the... I could go on about that for hours, but the amount of examples of people kind of defending things that are ultimately quite harmful to children is also astounding to me. Uh, and, and so many people thinking that they're compassionate and yet it's always the kids that seem to, uh, to, to take the brunt of that. I don't know. I think another, you know, we are just kind of talking about going into all of this, what makes you go into this mindset? Um, you don't really do it consciously. Maybe I'm going to be an SJW. I'm going to take the training and check off the court, the, the boxes, but it's this, it's this drive. It's these people that like, I want to save the world. I want to help someone often. Like it's sometimes it's, it's really narcissistic, egotistical people that are diving into it. And then there's the people, like you said, like ourselves who maybe are more get abused by those people. We're the ones that are like, Oh, I just wanted to save the world. I just really believed I was helping. I really believed that when I went to that climate justice event, that, that it was legitimate and not at all funded by really skeevy big corporations. You know, I didn't understand the bigger picture and, I just wanted to help. And they take advantage so badly of those nice young people, especially um, with these dreams to help the world. And now with social media, we can see everyone's problem all over the world. And you just want to help. And uh, you're given this solution. And it's really all these leftist policies and ideologies. And it's it's often not remotely helpful to anyone. And you just get sucked in. You just believe you're helping, you're helping. And then same with these narcissistic people. I'm helping them. I'm helping them get through their trauma. Well, a year, two years later, when you're telling them the same thing and they haven't shown any indication of wanting to grow or change, 
well, that's not helpful. And that's what I found a lot with SJWism is there wasn't a, ever a focus on self-growth ever. There's Never. no need to ever face your demons. If you're going to go to a counselor, and this is the problem with counseling, a lot of counselors will just be so gentle to these people because you don't want to knock them out of, you know, their safe space, but it's coming out of that safe space, which is the irony of this, this name of this podcast. That's what makes you grow is being uncomfortable. And so I felt like a lot of people just didn't want me to really grow. I want you to be mad. I want you to be outraged. I want you to be stuck here. No, you know, and I think that's part of what got me through conservatism was, or back into conservatism was just realizing, um, you know, kind of, and when I say conservatism, I'm looking at it from the broad spectrum of, like you said, the culture wars, politics. Um, I've heard it as kind of explained in a Christian perspective, like the hard virtues of God versus the soft. There's compassion, love and all of that. And then there's, you know, righteousness and justice and truth. Just like with parents, kids need both. You need a balance, right? And that's where I believe the left needs the right. All these ideologies, we have to find some central balance with it all. But really, I realized that I was coming back to to sanity, to peace, to harmony, to acceptance, um, and to growth, to self-growth. And I had to face some stuff that I wasn't doing right, some stuff in my past. And it hurt. It hurt horribly. And that's why it, that doesn't align with SJWism because the whole point is to make sure no one ever feels hurt ever, ever, ever. And 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 if you don't want to hurt someone's feelings and you can't say anything, but you'll never grow. And so that's what I found. It's very narcissistic. And yet nobody's focusing on the part that matters about yourself, which is being better, right? And, and trying to yeah. improve upon yourself. So then you end up growing beyond those people. And it's just a mess, right? Not to be conspiratorial, but it it seems like if you want them to to remain in the social justice cult, they need to they can't heal from the wounding, and they need to remain ignorant, right? You it relies on both empathy and ignorance because empathy plus knowledge about the world uh, leads you to maybe not give the heroin addict to their heroin. Empathy plus ignorance you can get caught up in a lot of this stuff and you kind of need them to remain there. So it seems like self-healing is inimical to the pushing the ideology general. You don't want self-healing. Um, what, yeah, what like, would you tell your 18 year old self if you could go back and say, Hey, 18 year old self, uh, you've, you got a chance to get to inoculate them. What would you say? Oh, inoculate. What a perfect word for what I wish I could do for society right now um, in this ideology, but I, I can't. And I'm not authoritarian, so I would never do that anyway. But um, I wish I could tell myself, yes, you need to relax. Yes, you need to open your mind to other ideas, but you're on the right path. Because I was ambitious and and driven. And yeah, I probably was too hard on myself. There's things I needed to grow in. And maybe I was a bit judgmental. Maybe I needed to open up a bit um, and experience other faiths. But I was on the right path and I was very hard on myself, my family and my upbringing and my heritage for no reason. Like I was at the point where I believe that white people weren't as cool as other races. We don't even have a cool heritage. Everything about us is bad. All we've ever done is oppress. I had no concept of my ancestry. I had no desire to see, you know, I, I stepped foot in the UK for the first time in February to sing for Tommy Robinson, which you can imagine makes me definitely a, a deplorable in many people's eyes. Yeah. Um, and standing on that soil and having that sense of like, this is where I came from. That's incredible. And, you know, these sorts of things like returning to my roots, I would have I would have told myself to focus on 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 my roots, on my family, on, you know, my dad passed away in July. And then that in itself rocked my world. Right. So you really I really regret not focusing on family, on having kids, you know, these things that I believed were were going to ruin my wonderful life of, of hedonism, so to speak, right? Like, I just wish that I could 
could tell myself that if you stay the path, you know, you're going to have a better life than if you reject it all. Um, because I think that some things would have been different. Now, that being said, life is beautiful and you can make really nice things out of a mess and you can find, I took a scenic route, right? I took a scenic route, took a lot of damage though, that I might not have taken if I hadn't uh, gone this way. So. I, I hope that would work. I hope it works to the 18 year olds who might listen. Well, um, I hope so too. You got, you got to say it in the right way. It's got to be the right timing. And we all have a different experience on who it is that wakes us up. Like why Jordan Peterson? I don't know why that day, why that phrase had someone else told me the same thing probably, but it just wasn't sticking. You know, you can be in this day and age, there's a million memes and quotes and you can get overwhelmed and just not care anymore. You need someone that can, you have to have someone that can somehow make you see the truth just for a second. And uh, that's not easy. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping if anyone's listening um, that they take this, this wisdom because it's just so, so destructive living in resentment and seeing everybody in this oppressed oppressor, weird little group sort of it's so dangerous and so vile and you just end up confused be exhausting. It, it's absolutely exhausting i and i was never to the extent that some of these people are but i think how can you look at the world and just see like do you just really see white supremacy under every rock that sounds terrifying and awful that sounds it's, awful it's awful well you're living in constant uh you've got constant adrenaline in your system you're like it's constantly you're afraid of tigers under every you know behind every tree or yeah. being, you know, hiding in every bush. And that's um, where the fight or flight kind of trauma stuff comes in. If you're always in fight yeah. or flight, good luck making good decisions. Have fun with that, right? That's why I say balance your head, heart, and gut, or you're not getting anywhere. You can't just knee-jerk reaction off how you feel. I know this. I, I promise it doesn't work. <laughs> Instincts are important. Thinking is important. Balance it with some, some emotions. And if you miss one of those steps, you're very well going to make a, a poor decision. So that hypervigilance, that constant state of stress, it's just never a place to make policy decisions or life decisions out of no, no counselor would tell you to, or tell you to drive like that, you know? Right. Right. You know, you're reminding uh, me of, we, uh, sorry, go ahead, Carrie. I was going to say Gracie's in the comments and she was saying that uh, they train you to see the world that way in college, you get graded on it, which is true. It's not like people are born seeing the world in these patriarchy, like white supremacy glasses. You, they put these glasses on you and then you, yeah forced to see everything you know through that filter yeah yeah true enough i you're reminding me of something that we, we interviewed dr rachel uh fulton brown a while ago and uh you know she mentioned something that hadn't really occurred to me in, in that part of the christian tradition something that's unique to western civilization is uh there's a level of self-criticism which has been really healthy and it's helped Western civilization developed. So when they, uh, you know, I, I know there's the, the trope of like, oh, they're just colonialists, colonialists who go out and conquer, but that's really not the history of Western civilization. There was a, an awful lot of missionary work, which required empathy and a lot of acceptance and, and learning of other cultures and then assimilation of things that worked well in those cultures back into Western culture. And, you know, her point was, a lot of a lot of Westerners have this kind of self-critical, self like cultural critical lens, and they kind of assume that everyone else has that as well. But it's unique to Western culture. It's not as common. Um, and you know, I'll say this: I don't, I don't think my wife would mind. My, my wife is Chinese. She grew up in China. They don't have a they don't have a like 
it's just not part of their culture to be constantly questioning themselves and being very critical of what's going on in the culture. It's just not part of how they grew up, but it is part of at least the Christian Western culture history. Yeah, I know. And I think it, it's used Sorry, against it's used against Western culture by people who want to destroy it. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's these are like grand topics that I was exploring, but without realizing that I was looking at something as broad as the idea of what Western civilization means and what these what are these values? Like you had said earlier, Carrie, well, what are the values of your party? What are the values that you're talking about? To be able to define what that actually looks like can take a lot of time, right? But what I definitely had and what I noticed, um, I did a bit of schooling. I have um, a year of nursing and I started a year when I originally wanted to get into stuff before I got ill. I'd started a year of uh, what's called a human justice degree, which is a lead up. If you take the degree, you can go into law school and or you can go into a plethora of other uh, areas as well. And so when you're taking courses like that or even in nursing, there is that sort of indoctrination. It's already happening. And it is it only shows one side. So instead of and, and yes, we need to look at the, like you said, a healthy amount of criticism. Um, you know, Germany has to look at its past and teach people about what happened so it doesn't happen again. They need to understand what caused it, how it got as bad as it did. We need to fo focus on those things and be honest and be better. Right. And that's about our heritage as well. But the, the truth is, is that every culture in the history of the world has had good and bad people. That's how it's always been. And it's generally been the ruling elite or the powerful, a few group of people, tyrannical people, ruining it for the, the rest of us. That's generally how it's been in every culture. doesn't matter where you go. doesn't matter your skin color. And so what we fail to see is that, you know, for example, in Canada, um, when we talk about colonialism, um, I don't know if you guys had a residential school system. That was a big thing here. Some really bad stuff was done um, when it comes to Aboriginals. They went through a lot of trauma and there were some people that were of the, you know, even the, the Christian faith and um, settlers that were awful. And, and, they, that is something that we have had to learn about and come to terms with in our history. And it's very dark. But to label all settlers and all white people like that is a, is a travesty because right. in that time period, if you just look logically, you know, and now I've done my research, there's churches that were saying, standing up against it and trying to fight it. And we're taking in people that were Métis and helping them. Uh, I don't know if you use the word Métis down there. That would be someone who is half European and half um, Aboriginal ancestry, often French. So they were helping them, they were clothing them, feeding them. So what if those were my ancestors? How do you know that my ancestors were, were the bad ancestors? Mine were just farmers. They, were, they weren't doing anything to anybody, right? And this is, you've just taken a whole race and decided that they're bad. And, and then you teach that a little bit growing up. And we're seeing that, you know, we're teaching that a lot in school now. Well, well this is all stolen land and taking away kids' sense of connection to the land, even if they've had generations where they've owned that land their family has farmed it and worked hard and you know settler life wasn't easy for anyone either you come to Saskatchewan in minus 40 and in, in you know 1895 and good luck good luck um a lot of people died it wasn't particularly easy so to I just I, I think it's such a, a small-minded view that causes nothing but heartache uh to to look at your own race with that disgust and I did like I I remember having this argument with my parents and I remember um I can't imagine what it felt like for them to have their daughter express shame over your ancestry for no reason. Like that's just, to me, it's, it's a travesty to what they're doing to kids, especially because you have to grow up with a sense of security and stability. And we all as, you know, as races have to move on together. We can't, we can't just keep honing in on who we've decided was the biggest oppressor and then, and then punish everybody in the future regardless of their connection with those oppressors. I just think it's it's such a small-minded, dangerous view. And that's one of the reasons I'm standing up for it is I think it's ruining our 
society, right? Absolutely. And it's, and it's transparent. It's a transparent attack because they don't simultaneously tell you, oh, by the way, you can also take pride for all of the things Western civilization has given the world. Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. You can't, you can't have that. But you Just can don't. feel bad about slavery. Right. Yeah, don't ever focus on the good people that actually helped. Those people don't exist in the media. They don't exist in university. We don't talk about them. Um, just right. make sure you feel a good dose of shame. Sometimes I just joke around with my fiance and because he's like, he's got Icelandic heritage, you know, oh no, he's got the Viking heritage. He's got the blonde hair, the blue eyes, the whole works. And he's conservative, kind of libertarian. And I'll just say, just your daily reminder that you're a white male and you're scum, just in case you hadn't heard it yet today <laughs> when we laugh, but it's not <laughs> funny. But you, really, like, it's just, it's gotten to the point where, oh, your, your opinion doesn't matter. And now, like yourself, Carter, say you say something and it's really, really meaningful and deep and you have a great idea on something, you can now just be shut down. Well, you're a white, you're, you're a white cisgendered male, therefore, nothing. Oh, I've been shut down. It's, it's too late for me. <laughs> well, you're not even on the chart anymore. You know, Carter. This, Carter has a trick up his sleeve in which he will identify as a woman for the duration of the conversation. <laughs> That's true. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Also, just a reminder to all Silicon Valley companies, I will identify as a woman for the purposes of serving on your boards to meet California regulations. So uh, just <laughs> give me a shout. <laughs> well, Kelly, um, thank you so much for coming on today. I really love this conversation. I hope we can continue it. And um, I know we're going to put your, and we have put your links and stuff in the description, but um, what would you, what can people do to support you if they want to? Well, right now we're doing the elections thing. So um, I'm not doing any crowdfunding, um, et cetera, on my channel. Just keeps it simpler when we're dealing with campaign funding. It's obviously quite a tricky, finicky area. So for now, um, really just if you can watch some of my content, I'm a little bit low on content because I'm focusing on the campaign, um, but just share, watch it. Uh, go back to some of the beginning stuff. It's my more raw stuff without the nice lighting and microphone, but it's very honest. Um, and if there's someone that you think could benefit from any of, of the, the content, please share it openly. Uh, I hope to make people a little uncomfortable, to be honest, um, but only for the sake of self-growth, because I think that a lot of the stuff I've learned, if I've gone through it, it has to be good for someone somewhere. I don't want it to be in vain, some of my dumb mistakes, put it that way. So um, that's the best way to help really is just to share. And and I always encourage people, if you have any kind of, we all have gifts, right? So if you feel like you're really good at singing or, or speaking or writing or art or memes or whatever is your thing, don't ever feel like you don't have a voice in this. Um, and don't ever feel like the fear is too big of a reason not to speak out. You're not alone. There's so many of us now that are standing up and we're all, very supportive of each other and you'll find yourself in, in open loving arms. You'll also get a lot of hate, but it's worth it. Um, you'll feel that meaning and purpose. So that's what I would encourage people is to step up in whatever way. You don't have to do a podcast or go on video. Um, just or run whatever. for office. Yeah, or run for office. I mean, but I encourage you to if you want. Um, but yeah, just we all have something to offer. So if something's on your heart, it's on your heart for a reason. And and just remember that being better and being the better person and always like Carrie said, showing unconditional love and grace and humility can go a really long way. You're not going to hear it, but you're going to plant seeds. And one day your words might ring true for someone in, in 10 years. Right. And when you do hear those stories, it's really inspiring. So by all means, just that's how you can help me help me by becoming part of the voice. Cause we need more people speaking out against this stuff. So. Yeah, that's about it. Thanks for coming out, though. I appreciate it. You're welcome to follow me on YouTube, uh, Twitter. Facebook is pretty non-existent. I'm not a social media fan, but uh, 
YouTube and Twitter will keep you updated on on things going on. And you're welcome to follow my campaign. Uh, if there's any Canadians watching, People's Party of Canada, check it out. We have fantastic platforms. So. Awesome. That's a, a great way to end the show. Really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. All righty. Well, everyone, thank you for watching. Um, we will be back next week, same time. And as always, uh, Carrie and I will be back tomorrow. Actually, we're doing live Kofevi tomorrow, I think. Right, Carrie? I think so. Oh, yeah. Friday's here already. Uh, yeah. So we'll see you. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Book Club Take Sunday. Care. Bye. Take care.